that was probably a combination of things. It's not just um, existential questioning. You know, it was like I didn't. Yeah, I didn't have a job. I was just out of this bad relationship. I didn't know if I wanted to stay in Michigan. Um, I didn't know what I wanted to do with my degree. It had been three years since I graduated, and I still hadn't had a job that lasted more than six months because there were always contract work. Nothing was stable in my life. It felt like so. In that sense. Maybe it's true that a little bit of stability is helpful. Um, yeah, I guess a degree of routine. If you if you equate stability with routine, you could say that that would be healthful, mm. um, healthy and helpful. Uh, but yeah, I mean that was there was a conglomerate, I guess you could say, of factors that contributed to my personal like sort of panic attack and like dread almost. Um, you just have to almost keep taking one more step. You don't have to figure out what the next 10 steps will look like. I think that's part of what happens when people have those like, existential crises or you know attacks is they start thinking maybe too far ahead. They become disconnected from the present condition. All right, this is Hello Hello Kopi or Milo podcast. And today we have Caleb Ismet. Usually, you know, tell Turks Ismet. Yeah. English speaker is Caleb. Right. How would you describe yourself, man? You are pretty unique. Like you are pretty rare. You know what I mean? Like from I guess so. <laughs> from from what I see in Turkey, I know about the rest of the world. Probably out there, there's a lot of Turkish spread out throughout the world. Yeah. But um, yeah. T- tell me more about yourself. Your what is your life story? How would you describe yourself? Uh, I guess you know I tell most people that I am Turkish American. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, my father's Turkish. My mother's from the United States. My mother tongue is English, because I was born in the United States, um, in Ohio, Cleveland, around Cleveland, Ohio. Um, and you know, I have sort of spent my whole life back and forth between these two countries, the United States and Turkey. It is, I guess, it's a little bit, uh, you, you know, different of a situation. Um, I was born in. Uh, in Canton, Ohio, small town, a little bit away from from Cleveland. But then we moved to Ankara when I was in grade school. Uh, I was young, you know, second grade, um, and I spent most of my childhood, you know, speaking Turkish, going to first Turkish school, then to international school. But I always you went to Turkish school in America. No, this is here. All right, in, uh, in Ankara. Okay. Yeah. Okay. After we uh, we moved to Ankara, 1998, we moved to Ankara. Okay. And how young yeah. are you by the way? How young am I? I don't feel young anymore. I mean, I'm guessing you're 28 or 29. Close, very close. 30. Uh, 30. Yeah. Cool. Perfect age, man. Yeah, how about you? I'm 28. 28. Turning okay. 29. Okay. So nice. I still call myself 28. Yeah. <laughs> you were born 92? 92, yeah. My, my younger brother too. 92. Awesome. Yeah. Cool. How does it feel like to be Turkish in America? Do you were you conscious enough that you were different? Yes, I mean, two sides to that. There's being Turkish mm-hmm. in America, then there's also being American, American here in Turkey, and I've sort of lived both ah. sides of that coin. Uh, Do I you mean, feel it's, American? No, I don't. Yeah, I mean, I, I feel like I don't associate with a lot of the, you know, pro-American sentiment that you would probably get from a lot of people from the United States mm-hmm. um, due to various you know reasons that that's the case 
but I also don't feel Turkish all the way. Yeah. Because these guys laugh at my Turkish all the time. And really? Yeah. <laughs> I mean, I've broken Turkish. I don't have, it's not my mother tongue. It's not my mother language. <laughs> I only went to Turkish school up until grade seven. Do you speak English at home right now? Yeah. Yeah, we okay. only we speak English mostly. And that's how I grew up. I, we spoke English in the home, so, you know, you, it's, that's the language I go to for comfort and for ease of communication. All right. And were you aware, like, what was the reason that you guys moved back to Turkey? Because from what I know, I mean, this is, this is just from a certain perspective that everyone just want to get out of the country. Hmm. Yeah. It, you mean when, I, when we first moved to Turkey? Yeah, I mean, for your family, like, I mean, yeah, each, I mean to, each, to each their own, but your, your family decided to come back here, move back yeah, here. Yeah, I mean, what was the reason? That's a good question. It was, it was primarily like ministry purposes. Mm-hmm. They were with the church in America okay. and they wanted to, you know, come do, you know, ministry programs and outreach here. My mom worked with refugees for a while. Uh, my father also worked with, you know, uh, community outreach programs and basically you know philanthropy related church related you know different projects and stuff he was still a he's a civil engineer by trade so he continued working as a civil engineer and my mom's a social worker by trade so that was their initial draw uh, to coming to moving to Ankara mm-hmm. coming back here and um, yeah I mean now they don't do so much of that anymore uh, they're retired I guess you could say All right but they as soon as my brother and I graduated from high school in Ankara, we went to the United States and they said, let's move down to Antalya. <laughs> so uh. that's sort of how that happened. They, oh. they, li- they actually live here now. Okay, so they leave here and you guys went back to the States for university. Yeah, yeah. my brother and I went, went back to the United States for university in Michigan. Okay, uh, so technically you still have the American passport. Yes. And you still have to pay taxes, crazy amount of taxes. Yes, yeah. Yeah, <laughs> that's true. <laughs> okay, cool, man. What What about, um, like, how would you describe yourself, I- as in your personal characteristic? Like, how how are you, like, as a person? Wow, how am I as a person? Yeah. That's a, it's a hard question, I yeah. guess. <laughs> like, because, I don't know, um, Turkish people seem pretty laid back, pretty yeah. chill, but then Americans are more like. I want to get shit done. Yeah. So yeah, do you sure. feel like you're st- stuck between two worlds? Yeah. I mean, often I do feel like that. I guess I would relate a little more to the Turkish culture in that way. I would like to think that I'm laid back, <laughs> but you could, I don't know, you could ask my wife, you could ask my brother if that's true. <laughs> uh, you know how we always have perceptions of ourselves. Yeah. I mean, I, th- I think I relate more with Turkish culture. Definitely. I could say that. Um, I still feel like an outsider sometimes, but I always, when I'm in the United States, I always long to come back to this culture because it feels a little more comfortable for me. It could be the laid back aspect of it. Um, it could also just be the hospitality, you know, the, the general um, both respect and uh, welcomeness and hospitality that Turks show to strangers. Yeah. You know, there's yeah, just yeah. A, maybe a natural uh, it's a part of the the cultural character of the country, maybe. Yeah, pretty pretty warm there. Like, because I was in Europe before, I feel mm. the difference, and I I felt like I was sucked in. Because mm. the first time I was here, I just chose Turkey over Morocco just by chance, and oh, then yeah. I just got sucked in. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Especially Izmir. Have you been in Izmir? Yeah, Izmir is amazing. Like Antalya's vibe, I guess. Yeah. The people. 
Yeah, okay. And okay, were you creative as a child? I think so. Again, I think you know, I'd have to ask my parents about that. They would <laughs> they would be able to tell me uh probably a better picture of how I was. Yeah, I mean, I, I especially with music, I've always had a draw to music. I started playing viola. It's a little bit bigger than a violin. Have you heard of it? When I was uh you know, this was 1999 maybe, so I was in third grade, third, fourth grade elementary school. And, um, you know, I've always had an interest and curiosity for music. Um, so I started on, you know, the viola. Um, later it turned into guitar. Cool. Uh, later, the, actually, no, drums, sorry. Drums came before the guitar. Um, yeah, right around my middle school years, sixth grade or so, I started playing drums. Seventh, eighth grade, I picked up the guitar and um that's been yeah I, I guess i would say there were roots of you know wanting to be creative wanting to create things you know it could be sound it could also be objects i also love to build things um, and fix things your, um, was that encouraged by your parents in any way yeah i think so okay. definitely yeah i mean i'm i consider myself lucky in that mm. you know we had pretty supportive parents in that regard wanting to help us you know follow our curiosities you know cool. investigate our curiosities and, and cool. create yeah yeah is your little brother more or less like you yeah he's smarter than me <laughs> <laughs> he's more accomplished than me oh yeah yeah in, in like how it usually goes the younger sibling outpaces do you have any siblings so yeah a little okay. brother which is uh he was he's born in 96 Okay. So more or less the same energy I feel, and he's more studious, and he went to like aeronautics engineering. Wow. Like yeah. <laughs> so okay. Yeah. Feel, yeah. Yeah. I feel a little bit similar. So I I studied communications in, okay. in university, and my brother studied. He did two degrees. He did music composition and political science. Yes. He. Yeah. <laughs> <That's> <laughs> yeah. Crazy. He's he also has a you know uh, curiosity for music and uh -huh. a, a drive. Right. to create and right. so he did those those two degrees you know he's probably frustrated with a lot that he sees in the world and wants uh. to make you know make some differences you know i don't know man looking at you right this is this is a weird thing to say this yeah. is true really really <laughs> weird but you remind me i don't know if you know this guy you remind me of casey neistat <laughs> i've heard that before i think you mentioned you did video production yeah, yeah i did you a should do bit. like how to be Casey Neistat. <laughs> you know? Maybe I should. Maybe I should try that. You should try that and just be my side hustle. Huh? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, I know. Like you, you've been told that. Yeah, yeah, I have. Yeah, I've heard that a couple times. Cool. <laughs> and I haven't actually seen his work. You know, I know he's just a he's a really popular, successful uh, video never producer seen his work? and blogger. No, I haven't seen any of his videos. But okay. Yeah, he had like a daily vlogs for two years straight. Wow. You know? So you have a lot of content. That's to intense. Check out. Yeah. 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 Okay. Anyways, back to you, man. <laughs> how how did you started falling in love with coffee? Um, that's a good question. Yeah. You know, I think I haven't really been in specialty coffee as long as I've been drinking coffee. You know, I I mostly drank cheap, you know, McDonald's coffee back in the day. Yeah, back in university, so uh -huh. I could have energy to finish a paper, yeah. prepare for an exam. You know, more utilitarian <laughs> drinking, mm -hmm. and. Um, şey Ahmet e, klima gelmiş de biz çağırırız ya servisi çağırıp hallederiz sonradan. Sorry. Sounds good. It's perfect. It's perfect transition. 
I didn't know if I needed to sign anything. Anyway. Yeah, so especially coffee. You know, a few years ago, uh, I was dating, who is now my wife, Mm -hmm. Megan. She was working at a specialty coffee shop as a barista, uh, and wow. I was working at a guitar shop at the time. Wow, is this in Antalya, Ankara? No, this is in the United States. We were both living, we met at university in Michigan, uh-huh. in Grand Rapids, Michigan. And yeah, I was working at this guitar shop, and she was working as a barista at a coffee shop downtown. And whenever I had morning shifts, and she, okay. she had a really early opening shift, let's say, she'd bring me coffee every, every morning. And I just like slowly got hooked to this stuff because it's so different than your, you know, standard gas station coffee, McDonald's Uh coffee. It was just so unique. And, you know, as a, what would you say, hedonic experience, you know, as like a pleasurable experience, it was different. But then I also started learning about the specialty market, you know, the sort of the ethos behind specialty coffee and how it's a little bit subversive. Um, At least it's trying to be in the way it's uh, trying to pay workers at every level just a little bit more, you know, trying to help every stage of the production, of the production from line. From farming. Yeah, from right. farm to cup, this uh-huh. idea of farm, yeah. from farm to cup, farm to table, you know, you have similar movements all around. Yeah, I, I was just drawn to this idea that it's trying to create a little bit of a different, you know, it could be, you could say a different social system, a different economic system fundamentally a different political system mm-hmm. you know those are all interconnected the right. way i see it and i was really drawn to that fact i'm a little bit of a i mean i i, I guess i would call myself a socialist mm-hmm. and as far as political theory goes i think that's what we all need to be working towards is yeah. creating social networks where we can um you know help each other out more systematically i think yeah. that's why we're here yeah, if, yeah you know if not then what are we doing what's the point right yeah a little bit i feel like that mm-hmm. um but I think, you know, there's there's a lot of potential in the specialty coffee market and industry to create, you know, a good amount of impact in each aspect of the production ladder. Mm. And, um, yeah, that's, that's something that I've been drawn to from the beginning that when so I started re- so research, researching it. Right. So that's how you found the coffee from from the girl to the cup. Yeah. Right. Yeah. yeah. And then you end up marrying her as well. Yeah. That that is that is a perfect love story, man. Yeah, it's true. You it's fell in love with coffee through the eyes of a girl. Yeah, <laughs> that's true. like a song, bro. Yeah, it should be. <laughs> yeah, it really should be. Yeah. How? What was your first um, memorable cup of coffee, if you can remember? Wow, that's a good question. I mean, I can't remember specific origins that I had. I mean, I. Sometimes I wouldn't even know what she brought me, but it would be amazing. Like a flat white or a Oh, no, usually just filter coffees. Right. Um, You know, just some single origin filter they had at their shop on Mm -hmm. Batch Brew. Uh, But when I was, the first time I was like blown away by the potential that I saw in in especially coffee was we went to Chicago for some some official business. I think I was going to the Turkish consulate in Chicago. It was the Mm -hmm. nearest Turkish consulate. I had to take care of my military requirement. And yeah, we, we stopped at La Colombe. They have a shop there underneath the L train. I don't mm-hmm. know if you have you heard of La Colombe? No. It's they have amazing I mean they've been they're one of the early specialty coffee shops. Specialty. That, yeah, yeah. Okay. And they're pretty you know, you can find their right they can drinks now that you can buy oh, in wow. supermarkets. You can find like them pretty blue much bottle, everywhere. Sort of. Yeah, a little bit, yeah. Right. Um I love beer mm-hmm. and Crop where beer. we came from, yeah, craft beer. Mm-hmm. Grand Rapids is where we lived in Michigan. It won like 
Beer City USA Awards several years in a row. There were just so many craft breweries there. And the reason I tell you this is because we went to La Colombe, and I'd never seen this before, but they had cold brew on nitro tap. And it was the creamiest, it was like the perfect marrying of an amazing like oatmeal stout. Damn. And yeah, whatever cold coffee I had, you know, in my mind. Yeah. It was like a perfect marrying of the two and it was, I was just blown away. Yeah, I, I, I mean, that was definitely a point where I was like, okay, this is a really creative industry. There's a lot of people doing some interesting experiments and yeah, it was a nitro. I don't even remember what coffee it was. But it was just a nitro cold brew. Damn. And just so frothy and creamy, like a good stout should be. Wow, you you uh, describe it perfectly, man. <laughs> I can I can I can get the mouth. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Shit. Yeah. So that was you know definitely, you know it piqued my interest and I pursued a little more, you mm -hmm. know just researched a little more. Right. There's actually some really good. Uh, I just want to mention a few coffee shops in Istanbul. Mm, um, that are doing good experiments too. This was a few years ago. I went to um, coffee festival Istanbul, I think it was called. Okay. And Null Coffee. Have you heard of them? Null. Yeah, N U L L. Null. Wow, I never heard of it. Like null, meaning like. Okay. Zero, Is it zero. on the European side? I guess. Yeah, it's actually near Kadıköy. I think oh. the roastery is. Okay. But these guys were also doing some really interesting experiments. He did a nitro cold brew, but he was putting. Um, what do you call it? Şerbetçi otu in Turkish we say. Okay. Which is the same. Oh, hops. It's ah, the same like thing you beer. put into an IPA. Yeah, yeah. Uh -huh. Shit. It was like this. He it was dry hopping mm. his nitro cold brew, and it was like, <laughs> it blew my mind. I was like, oh my gosh, this is these yeah. guys are really you know advanced pushing the envelope weird, here. Weird, yeah, weird. I, th I think it was pretty groundbreaking. When I asked them about it, they're like, yeah, people are not really into this. Oh, snap. Because yeah, it's Turkey, right? Yeah, I mean, it's a little bit... The beer culture here is really lacking, for one. Yeah. Istanbul, maybe it's a little bit better, but the rest of the country, you don't... Yeah. They don't really think about craft beer. No one's thinking about microbreweries. and yeah. Just like a lot of people aren't even thinking about specialty coffee here. They're yeah. still in a commercial level of consumption mm -hmm. and production. You know? Yeah. And, uh, yeah, I mean, there's a lot of guys in, in Istanbul, though. Chronotrope is always doing, you know, lots of great stuff, too. Mm. They've been around since day one. Of yeah, the, they're one of the coffee. earliest one to adopt, right? Yeah, 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 definitely. Yeah. And what about music, man? How uh, music, and you mentioned earlier video production, yeah, um, coffee. How, does, how do you blend in all these three together? You know, to be honest, I've sort of let video production go. Mm. I was really, you know, curious and maybe I could say like in love with the medium in high school and in university years, mm -hmm. but I slowly just saw how saturated the market is. There's so much video production. There's so much shit getting produced from Hollywood, from, you know, all corners of the right. media world right. that I just, I didn't, I didn't feel connected enough to want to try to make my own footprint. I still love taking photos. I haven't done video in a long time though. Um, yeah, music is different. Uh, music, since I you know, started so young, um, you know, seven, eight years old, it became a language of sorts. You know, it became a, a way to process life, you know, just mm -hmm. like a lot of people do. They listen to music to process it. And a lot of people also write music to process it. You make music too, right? Yeah. Yeah, it's just, I mean, yeah. it's, a, 
it's a way that you can process your emotions. Um, mm. Often, you know, it can be really therapeutic if you have, you know, some traumas, some yeah. self-expression, bad experiences that you need to process. Yeah, self-expression, yeah. expression. So I think that's that's always been sort of at the core of my identity. Is I need to make music. I will make music no matter what, even if it's just my ears that ever hear it, because mm -hmm. it'll be for me. And that's you know where I wanted to the inspiration to come from. Mm -hmm. Or else I don't think people, no one else will want to listen to it either. I, I've always felt yeah. if it's not coming from a you know authentic place, yeah. and because um, that's what I think is contagious. When people are honest with themselves, then other people see, like, wow, I, I think I can be honest with myself too. Like, I can say that I feel the same, or that I can relate, they start to say to themselves. And, uh, yeah, I don't know, I've just always been um, drawn to the production of music, just wanting to write songs. And there's this great, uh, I don't know if you're familiar with this Irish singer-songwriter named Glenn Hansard. Have you heard yeah, of him? Yeah, yeah, yeah. There's one big song. Um, yeah, he... Did you know where your lips begin? Is that him? Maybe. Uh, which one is that? I forgot what, what what was the... This is... He is in this movie called Once that was really popular. Oh, yeah? Yeah. Was, yeah. There's, the famous song is Falling Slowly. Oh, okay. I, I can't, I can't remember... That. I can't remember um, what it's called. Yeah, 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 yeah. Anyway, but yeah. he... Not in that movie, in like another uh, little interview that I had watched once, he said, and this has just stuck with me, mm -hmm. he said, you know, music is strange in that, you know, everyone goes out and about their lives with these walls that they built up over time of, you know, it could be traumatic experience, it could be just bad relationships, bad memories, you know, confusion about relationships, identities, feelings, not knowing how to process feelings or emotions. So these walls we build up throughout our lives, you know, we keep, keep certain people out because we're afraid and we need to protect ourselves. But music somehow has the solvent to the glue that holds up those walls, he said. I'll, I won't forget that. You know, he, the music can have the ability for people to lower their walls and to connect with each other. And that's something that I've felt very strongly because I've felt that I felt my walls go down when I hear a certain song from an artist I love mm -hmm. they say you know what I've been searching for years to try to say and they say it in one line in a song and it's like shit yeah it hits so hard you know sometimes yeah. um, and I think that's that feeling is what you know I'm always after because that's again going back to maybe we're here to connect with each other right you know, why else are we here? Anything else is, a, is an illusion. If, if it's trying to make us think that we're not connected or if it's trying to keep us from connecting, it's, it's a false self or it's a, they're illusions, I feel like, often. Um, so, yeah, I mean, that's my inspiration for creating music, I think, is looking for ways to connect with myself, first and foremost, I, I've always felt. Because that's, that's hard enough, man. Yeah. But I also find that sometimes I can connect with others and that helps me connect with myself. Yeah, it's like a energy, like a frequency, you know? Yeah, exactly. It's like a radio station. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So, it, you know, it's, it's something that is shared and it's something that is, uh, you know, it's, it can be unanimous. It can mm -hmm. be, you know, experienced by different people completely differently and that's the beauty of it mm -hmm. uh, yeah 
Do you think it's what's what's more important, um, the lyrics or the melody? Man, I don't think you can separate them. I think they, there is the art form of music writing, like classical music. I think mm-hmm. is an easy example, and you can really be moved by classical music. But then there's also the art form of poetry. You can read these poems, and it's like, damn, like that's beautiful, or yeah. wow, that that hurts. Yeah. But then there's the also the art form of songwriting, which is marrying the the two together. That I've always felt, you know, has such a powerful. Again, it's it's my own experience, but has such a powerful you know potential. Um, and it's very it's hard. I think it's very hard to write good songs. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, half of 98 songs probably or 98 percent of the songs that are on the radio today feel uninspired to me <laughs> yeah. they're shit you know? yeah. they're exactly. really uh they're not very convicting you don't feel yeah. moved by them yeah. because they're, they're, they're shitty songwriting it's easy yeah. they choose easy ways they ch- they choose repetitive melodies they choose what works yeah yes. exactly to the ears of the ma- um, massive crowd yeah. but i guess i don't know in my perce- perspective that pain And suffering um, produce good music. Mm. Yeah, by yeah. the fact that um, it's like a martyr, you know, to go through a certain experience to be able to write. So almost like when you're at a good position in life, it's hard to make good music. Yeah, you know what Interesting. I mean. Interesting. Yeah. That that's my, I, I I believe in that, and I actually, I think it is true. Mm. So in a way, when you go through hardship, you should be grateful because. The art is coming. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. sure. <laughs> That's true. I think so. I mean, there's a that reminds me of something else that I read. There's this Spanish poet Lorca. You mm. may have heard his name no, before. I never heard of it's like I can't remember his full name. Something Garcia Lorca, maybe. Okay. But he talks about this this concept of duende. Okay. And it's a like old Andalusian. Uh, Term. It's a it's a word that sort of refers to this. Um, it's not exactly a muse, but it's like a muse. You know what I mean by muse? Like an ins- inspiration. You know, they the old ancient Greeks would say, you know, a muse visited me. It's my inspiration for writing this song or this story. It's a you know, it's an angel, a spirit. But a duende isn't so uh, benevolent. A duende is more like a demon that visits you. Mm-hmm. It brings chaos. It bring, brings grief, and they use it almost to, you know, describe like the spirit that brings a different sense of a deep understanding of the pain and sorrow, mm-hmm. either that you're currently experiencing in life or that you sympathize with or empathize with. And yeah, that, that's what you what you said reminded me of that. He says, you know, good art. Comes from duende. If there's no duende, then it's sort of cheap. It tends to be shallow. You know, it tends to be, you know, just consumable. Mm. Pop songs. You yeah, know, it's yeah. not very well thought through. Um, yeah, I agree with you. I think that you do have to have that, at least some sense of, um, you know, some deeper introspection. Yeah. Yeah, it's nice. It's nice to to feel like, like, um, you know, when you meet someone who you feel like have your energy, have your vibe. Yeah. But then, without, without me being curious to go out of my way to go, like, on the other side of the world to push myself beyond my comfort zone, mm. we wouldn't be able to connect. 
yeah. you know but at the same time I feel like it's meant to be you know what I mean mm. it sounds cheesy but it's supposed to happen yeah, like sure. me and you we are supposed to talk you yeah. know what I mean sure sure yeah and I think everyone I think we're supposed to meet everyone and talk with everyone <laughs> it's just not logistically possible the pandemic <laughs> sort of shrinks the world you know yeah I mean? definitely mm. yeah. yeah yeah I think so I think it made us I, I want to say it's for the better but I think it made us more aware of how small the world is and how problematic the way we're running the world is mm-hmm. I mean I, I don't know if it's if it's proven good yet because we haven't changed much of our systems and we haven't yeah. changed you know much of how we do things but I think it has made people a little bit more aware that it's a small world you know it, yeah. what we do in one corner affects another corner across the globe mm-hmm. so so with coffee, right? Would would you say it's like your full time gig right now? Yeah, definitely. Yeah. Like, does it does it feel like a routine sometimes? And how do you get out of that routine? You know, when you're, you're when you're mm. doing certain certain thing over and over yeah. again, you feel like what's the point? Sometimes. Have you ever felt that uninspired? With coffee, I haven't gotten to that point. Mm. Um, just because it's still so new to me. I've only been roasting for over a year now. About, you know. Um, maybe you know 16 months or so mm-hmm. about a year and a half almost now and since it's been the pandemic we have really been on our toes constantly right. you know we've been in we've been having to figure out month to month how our how our you know schedule is going to change how our operation systems might have to change um, just because of the pandemic so it's kept us on our toes for the past year year and a half and I haven't gotten bored of it yet. It's, I mean, it's still so fun and, I don't know, it's just, uh, it piques your curiosity every time you get a new bean. Even every roast goes differently because the temperature outside is different. The, you know, uh, the way that that day I'm in a mood, I may make, make this different decisions. And basically it's a moving target constantly for my job. I'm roasting mostly here. And since you're trying to get the same target, you're trying, you're aiming for, um, you know, the same range of flavor every single time. But there's so many variables that affect that when you're roasting coffee, that it, it really does keep you on your toes. So, you know, it's every every day is every roast is different. It could even be the same day, but between one hour and the next, conditions change slightly. So, you know, the the beat. The machine is has raised its internal thermal temperature, so you have to watch how how hard you push the fire. You know the beans are have been sitting in room temperature, so they're you know more warm than when you first pull them out of the storage room right. with the first batch. So you know you're you're constantly trying to adjust these variables and hit the same target every time. Precision is is the name of the game um, with roasting. So. I really haven't gotten bored of it yet. It's a challenge constantly. Right, right. <laughs> I think it should be. You know, I yeah. don't think. I wonder. I haven't been doing this long enough to make any declarative statements, but I wonder if mm-hmm. you are getting bored of roasting coffee, you're not doing it right. Yeah. <laughs> I I would be interested to talk with more experienced roasters about that, but. Yeah, but also I feel I don't know like landscape wise, Antalya. Hmm. Antalya like has like a energy where it gives inspiration. Yeah, you, for sure. You feel that way? Yeah, I mean that's I mean, the mountains are amazing here, right? Yeah. The mountains right next to the sea. Yeah. I've heard that. Um, who said this? 
maybe my brother who said this. My wise brother. <laughs> Your he said like, <laughs> yeah, yeah. He said, you know, when I look at all of the philosophers and theologians, mm-hmm. uh, you usually look at atheists and where they came from, and it's always they were landlocked. There was no mountains. Mm-hmm. So I mean, you yeah. know what I mean. There, there's this aspect of. You have no natural beauty around you. Of course, you you think there's no God. Uh, of course, you have no faith in the nature of beauty and the and maybe the spiritual uh, possibility of nature. Yeah. And when you're here, it's hard to deny it a little bit. Yeah. At least for us, you know that's. It's amazing, man. It's yeah, amazing. it is amazing. It's. I have a friend who lived in, you know, we grew up together in Ankara, mm-hmm. and he ended up living in Hawaii for a while. And he's been to Antalya too. He's visited throughout his life. He said, "Man, I've lived in like he lived in California as well." He said, "I've lived in California, Hawaii now for a little bit. Antalya is still my favorite place to swim in the in the sea. It's the most beautiful, really? you know, coastal town." Yeah. Wow. Shit, it's a lot to say about. I know. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. If anyone's whoever is listening, they should <laughs> visit Antalya and visit yeah, in, Antalya. in Common Coffee. Do you think Yeah in common coffee yeah. Shout out Like do you think Turkey I think Turkey Landscape wise Is probably the most Beautiful country On the planet Like you have Like everything In one melting pot You know Yeah you definitely Yeah It's just Lucky Like it doesn't make sense How How the economy Is so bad Yeah when it's true geographically I mean. It's so It's at the right place right position near to Europe everything is perfect you know what I mean yeah it is it's a very unique situation Um, you're right though I mean I think it does have the most beautiful varied geography I mean I've been I've been around a lot of the United States and the United States also has a lot of you know unique uh, diverse geography and geologies Uh, but Turkey I mean you have this climate here which is like Mediterranean seaside you can get some really intense rainstorms. So you have almost like monsoon season sometimes. Mm-hmm. But then right now it's a dry desert heat. Mm-hmm. And you go up into the inner Anatolia around Ankara area. And that's high plateau, you know, volcanic soil. It's also desert heat. But you also have places like Cappadocia. Have you heard of Cappadocia? Yeah. The fairy chimneys. It's all this massive ancient civilization that was built out of you know volcanic rock it's really unique and you go up even further north to the black sea it's completely green mm. just a carpet of green and these rolling hills you go east on the black sea it's these massive green mountains it's beautiful i mean it's it's like the alps yeah. the alps meets uh you know like some dense alpine forests and yeah there's just so much uh potential in in the geography here but you know there's a lot of theories why turkey is still behind and you know really uh what would you say making use of its geography or being able to bring people in to enjoy you know i i mean tourism is still turkey's number one economic income it's their number one income so they they do it to some extent antalya has like they say more flights in the height of tourist season than istanbul Really? You know, yeah, yeah, yeah. Wow. Um, Shit. So it's, I mean, you do have a lot of tourism, but it's still, I think it's true what you're saying. There's just maybe not a very, um, what would you say, conscious uh, relationship with the land here. 
Turks have only been here for a couple hundred years, you know, mm. less than a thousand years, mm -hmm. basically. They haven't been living, you know, in a stable manner uh, permanently for, mm. you know, more than a thousand years. So it's, it's relatively new to them. Mm -hmm. I'm thinking, you know, as opposed to, you know, certain maybe tribes in Africa or, you know, or groups of people in, you know, Western China or, you know, people that have been more, more or less around the same couple thousand kilometers for the past couple millennium yeah turks aren't like that they've been moving around a lot they're a nomadic people they come from you know upper um asia and western china area actually yeah uh but yeah i, I don't know there's a lot of reasons that maybe it's too political to get into yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. you know there's obviously political reasons uh -huh. there's cultural reasons why i mean besides the politics, right? If you could change one thing about Turkey, what would it be? If it's in your power to just switch it up. Hmm. I mean, obviously, if I ask that question, most people will answer the politics, right? Yeah. But besides the politics, yeah. Man, you know what I'd really change is the architecture. Wow, interesting. Yeah, it's so frustrating the way that Turkey builds cities. Really? You can go to... I mean, here you can see the mountains, so it's no different. Okay. If you go in a couple kilometers into the land mm -hmm. where there's, you're not near the sea, you can't see the mountains much, you can look up and be between buildings and not know if you're in Antalya or Konya or Balıkesir or, you know, any place in the oh. Black Sea. They, all the buildings look the exact same. There's uh -huh. these concrete square blocks. Uh -huh. no Maybe a couple of funky colors they throw on the side, like yellow, like that one over there. <laughs> Green windows. You know, it's, it's just random shit that they think makes it look unique. But yeah, it's we'll literally... Money. <laughs> yeah, that's what it is. They're yeah. looking for cheap solutions. Uh -huh. You know, and uh, until that... Um, I think in, until that's changed, actually, there's not going to be a lot of foreign interest in real estate here, I think. Mm. Right now, there's an Antalya a little bit because you have a lot of Arab uh, tourists that come here and have properties here, or mm. Russian tourists, especially mm -hmm. for Antalya. But in general, you know, if someone has the money, they're going to buy, still buy property on the coast of Spain or Italy yeah. or, you know, France or, you know, if they're wanting, or Greece. It's just, there's no com comparison, at least aesthetically, yeah. to the architecture here, to yeah. any place in Europe or even Africa, you know? I mean, it's like, yeah, it's just something that I really um, wish was a little bit different. Uh, I think it would, it would, Makes sense. it would pair well with the geography if they changed the architecture. Right now, the architecture looks nothing like the geography, <laughs> the beauty of the geography. Yeah, man. Yeah. So, would you would you feel like you are living your dream right now? Man, my, living my dream. Yeah, and then I would say you're married, right? Yeah. Like mm -hmm. recently, or uh, this will be our fourth year. Wow. In August. Like this will actually like uh, lead up to another yeah. question, which which how did you know that she was the one that mm. you would decide that early? You know, first of all, are you living your dream? Yeah. Secondly, the follow-up question would be, how do you know that she was the one? Yeah. Yeah. Because you are like That's 30. A good question. I better get this right since it's on record. <laughs> <laughs> so you're 30, and yeah, I feel like it's perfect right now. Yeah, I mean, I, I guess am. so. I would never have imagined that I would be where I am. Uh, you know, if you ask me 
10 years ago, even five years ago, really. Um, yeah, I mean, I guess I am living the dream. You know, I, I, I love what I, what we do here. Um, we have a great team here, you know, um, I love Megan, my wife, obviously, and our little dog that we adopted. <laughs> and, you know, I think we feel like there is still so much we have to figure out. We have still so much shit to figure out ahead of us that we don't appreciate as much as we should our current, you know, context and position. Because you're right. I mean, it's, it's an amazing city here. We get to roast and, and share specialty coffee with people, um, sort of try to be especially coffee beacon of sorts in the city because there aren't a lot of shops like us um so i guess yeah i mean i would say i'm living i wouldn't say it was it was my dream because i didn't imagine i would have it but it, it is a dream you know that it sort of just like shoved to you right? yeah, <laughs> yeah 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 like it, it happens and yeah. i'm very thankful for it i'm i'm very thankful for you know the position that i'm in and the context that we're currently uh, working with um yeah and does that answer the question sort of yeah that was the first question yeah, yeah. Mm -hmm. the second one that's a good question um i mean there's it's funny because there's a lot of ways to look at it mm -hmm. have you ever seen the the show called flight of the concords yeah for sure yeah, new yeah. zealand the key the yeah, keys yeah, yeah exactly <laughs> Uh, the, I think it was like the first episode of the first season. Okay. Uh, Jermaine. <laughs> there, there's like this girl that Jermaine used to go out with, but mm -hmm. ends up wanting to... Uh, Britt, his roommate. Mm -hmm. Britt? Britt? Uh, do you remember this show? Yeah, it was his ex-girlfriend. Ex yeah. And <laughs> somewhere along the line, he's like... Um, yeah, she was the one, I thought, for a long time. He's, he thought this girl was the one. Mm -hmm. And then <laughs> Britt's like, well, wasn't, you know, Sarah the one? He's like, oh, yeah, she was the one, too. Like, well, what about Rebecca? Oh, yeah, she was the one, too. Like, well, how many ones can you have? He's like, oh, three or four, maybe. <laughs> <laughs> and, you know, I think there's actually some truth to it, though. Huh. Uh, how so? <laughs> <laughs> I mean, this is probably a contentious the thing to say or topic to get into but yeah. you you come along so many people in your life and you can get an average of who you love you know you you meet so many people and you there's there's probably there's there's millions of people in the world billions of people in the world so of course there's more than just one person person that you'll be happy with yeah uh in your life and you know for megan and i we we're both, you know, 26 years old. Uh, we had dated a few people up until then. And we sort of found each other and, you know, fell in love with, you know, each other and, and just decided we really wanted to spend, we worked really well together, both as friends, lovers, and um, just partner humans wanting to spend a committed future together. Mm -hmm. And we just, you know, we made the call together, sort of. It, was, it wasn't actually so much me mm. poking in the dark, you know, the traditional heteronormative way of, yeah. you know, a guy randomly asking a woman to marry her. We talked about it quite a bit. And right. I mean, I did propose to her, but it, it wasn't so much uh, of a, oh, I knew it's, I know it's the right person at this moment, and there's, there's no other way of knowing it's, like yeah, I, I yeah I love this person and you know coming upon that realization and thinking I don't I couldn't imagine living life without this person you know and 
how that, if you let that guide your decision, I think maybe there's a little bit higher chance you'll be able to be con- content with it or something. Mm. Um, there's also this theory. This is also a contentious theory. But, I mean, it's, it's what computer programmers use. There's this equation that you can go by. I, I forget what it's called. Um, but it's an equation that will give you the ideal average okay. um, when you're making a choice. Right. Um, and pro- programmers use this all the time. I read this in a book called Algorithms to Live By, I think it was. Okay. It's really, really fascinating. But... And I can't even remember the mathematician who came up with it. Basically, he found that if you have a choice to make and you have 10 variables in front of you, 10 options, once you have tried, I think the percent is like 36 point something. So if you've if you tried just four of the options out of your 10, you're, you will come across among those four, one of them uh, will be an example basically for your ideal option if you hmm. do the rest of the 10. Does that make sense? So um, you just have to try four out of ten yeah, to figure you, all ten. Yeah, to figure out Man, all I, wish ten. I, I wish I remembered the theory. Thirty-six point eight. You said something like okay, that. Okay, yeah, cool. Yeah. Shit. Um, Algorithms to live by. Algorithms to live by is the book. Cool. Um, I'll look it up. Damn. I really. I so wish I remembered the name of this theory, but yeah, I mean, it's they say you can apply it to anything. You're looking for an apartment. You have ten options. See four of them and choose one of them. You know, you're dating. <laughs> Shit, do the in, same thing. In the thing. course of one or two years, you you dated four people. Pick one. You know, yeah. you can probably rely on the fact that you would be happy with them. And it's weird the how it mathematically works out. Yeah, um, I think it's called like optimal. It's coming back to me. Optimal choosing theory or something. Okay. Something about optimal choice theory. Right. Um, yeah, I can't remember right now. I'm bad with names. It's all good. It's all already good. tongue-tied. Yeah. So. <laughs> so yeah, you just you just went went with your gut feeling at that point in time. Yeah, a little 26. bit. I guess I'm a little bit of a, a gut. Because I'm I'm at that point. Okay, so I'm turning 29 in December. So that means, like, um, traditionally, I should have my shit sorted right now. But yeah. I'm still indecisive up in my head. Like, like how do you choose the one? You mm. know, how do you spend the rest of your life with the same person? Mm. The, I mean, the fact that not everyone end up um, doing that. You know, not everyone end up spending the rest of their life with the same person. But how? Why do we even attempt to do that? Mm. You know, I'm not against marriage culturally. Sure. Culturally, I should be pressured right now. You mm. know, from from Malaysia, like I mean, as men, probably not so much as women right now. Oh shit! I should my get get really? my shit sorted. Yeah, no. but I'm just thinking like, how do you? That there's a little bit of wisdom in that because mm. more or less we have the same wavelength, and more or less the same age. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, you you. Yeah, you are like like I said, unique in your own way, mm. and your path that you chose as well uh, with your personal life. That's interesting. Yeah, I mean, you can't be sure of anything. In no, life, you know, it's a probability. But you can't also live regretting everything, you know, regretting every choice or like, you know, losing sleep over decisions that you've made that are done. You just have to keep working with whatever decision you've already made and learn from mistakes that you do make. Um, I mean, in relationships can be that way too. If you 
ended up in a relationship with a certain type of person, you know that, well, that's not going to work with me if it didn't work out. Or, um, you know, it's, it's, I guess a lot of it is just like maybe trusting in wisdom you pick up along the way from other people mm. um, or from people you look up to. Right. Um, for me, that might be, you know, musicians or uh, certain writers, certain philosophers, theologians. Yeah. Mm. Were you were you always discerning throughout your life? Like have you be ever been indecisive in any way? If it's not your personal yeah. life, if it's your <laughs> career choice or, or Yeah, I mean at all, yeah. It may seem like I'm decisive, but I'm, <laughs> I'm right. not. Yeah. I mean I'm really you actually are, yeah. You probably are right now at the at this turning point. Yeah, you sure. know, probably prior to that you went through yeah. different paths. Yeah, right. definitely. Um, yeah, I mean, I'm I'm 30 years old now, so I know a little bit more than I did even just last year about what I want in life or what I need to pay attention to in life um, in order to move towards, you know, my goals or uh, where I want to go, my direction. Uh, but I, um, I w- I've been very indecisive, you know, since when I since I was young. Mm. I even have, there's stories that my mom will tell, you know, we were at some arcade playing games, you know, and the tickets come out and you have to go get a toy. All the kids had, you know, turned in their tickets to get a pencil, eraser, bounce ball or something like that. I couldn't decide what to get. (laughs) Choices. Yeah, I just, I've always been, I've had a tough time making choices like that. And my mom said, you know, it, it came time to leave and she said, you have 30 seconds to make a decision something like that and I couldn't decide so she picked me up and I just I lost it I started crying and screaming I couldn't make my decision and you know it's it's a I guess I've it's stuck with me you know I had trouble making a choice for you know any anything from where I where will I go to college how will I spend my money this month how should I you know I want to buy these certain books which one should I buy which one you know, it's 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 very difficult in general for me to make yeah. small decisions. It has yeah. been in the past. Yeah. Uh, but, you know, as I've gotten older, it's become a little more um, clear, in part due to systems that I've learned. You know, I, um, I have a great uh, friend who develops, he calls it creative mapping. And it's basically life mapping, mapping your own life, uh, giving it systems and sort of diagrams where you can understand better what you what first of all what your values are and how those values as a you as an individual because everyone has unique core values right but how those values can direct you towards what decisions you make Um, and then alongside that also comes with being able to map and examine what you have in your life already as far as you know it could be different things like money but it could also be materials you have a setup and you make use of your podcast project by having a completely mobile setup and um, or people you know could be a asset is a he, ca- he calls them capital there's these different types of capital mm-hmm. I don't want to go into too much in case this is boring but nah, so. yeah there's this idea that you, you have uh, eight forms of capital okay. it comes from this movement permaculture movement okay. I don't know if you've heard of that no nope. permanent agriculture movement right um I think they're the ones that first came up with this, but this is this model that you, there, there isn't just monetary capital that's an exchange in the, in the world. Mm-hmm. We are constantly exchanging, you know, all types of resources. And 
the eight different, I hope I can get them all. There's eight different capital categories. There's money, obviously, but you also have living capital. It could be like sleep, energy. You have intellectual capital, things you've learned, mm-hmm. uh, studied. Um, cultural capital, obviously. Um, material capital, like your microphones, books, table, yeah. a workshop if you're you know, a carpenter. Um, spiritual capital, how many have I said? Six. I'm trying to think of the other ones. Intellectual, no? Social capital, Social, maybe? yeah. Yeah, anyway, you, if you look up eight forms of capital, yeah. um, it'll come up. I can't remember them all right now. Mm. But it helps you sort of break down what do you have in your life. You can think of them as little banks, little bank accounts. And, you know, maybe a part of your value is that you don't care to have a lot of money, but you do want to work on your, you know, social capital or your cultural capital. You do, you would like to be connected with people. Mm. And so you focus on that and you make decisions towards that. Mm. If someone offers you a job doing something that you hate to do but it pays a lot, if you don't care about money, then there's no reason why you should take that job. Yeah. Right? You know what I mean? Yeah, yeah. There's a little bit of, uh, you know, it sort of helps you break down your decision-making. Priorities. Or, yeah, your priorities yeah. And, and be a little bit more uh, honed in on your, what you want to do and what direction you want to go. Mm. I think it was really interesting. I, I still use it. Um, if people are interested, yeah. it's he has a actually Instagram account, but he does courses. Mm. Instagram account I think is just called Creative Mapping, mm. and um, yeah, you can check it out. It's he has a lot of great courses, and some are short. You, pay, I think he does a pay what you want mm. system, so mm-hmm. it's all like sliding scale sort of. Cool. Um, but he does courses often, and you know, Megan and I have both really. And several friends we know have really benefited from that type of approach to our, you know, uh, young adolescent life or adu- young adulting life. Yeah. It's not adolescent anymore, but mm-hmm. um, yeah, it's, it's helpful to be able to make targeted decisions and weigh even the small ones with more precision. Right. Yeah. Well, that's in depth. That is interesting, man. Yeah, yeah. I would recommend checking it out. Yeah. I bet you'd be in- interested in it. Cool. I mean, this is where I give you a break and I'm about to flip the script and give you a chance to ask me any question that you're interested yeah, for to sure. get to know about. So you said you left Malaysia two years ago. Mm-hmm. What was the you know, inspiration for leaving and, and what was the goal when you first you know left home like what is the point of all this routine what's the point of being stuck in one place um coming to turkey wasn't a plan at all like i said before but it's turning out better than i expected you know yeah okay it's really like the diversity the people that i met the fact that i'm in turkey geographically but i met a lot of people from overseas sure yeah because i mean it's it's a the tourism here it's pretty interesting and yeah i mean and you're in you're in istanbul right yeah it's, it's like yeah i was and previously i was in Israel. very metropolitan very international actually where we're about istanbul istanbul yeah, yeah, yeah. and izmir does have a bit too mm-hmm. do you feel like you found a little bit what you were looking for yeah probably before the trip and after the trip like right now i'm still in the trip right i would say i'm 60 percent in yeah like so you feel like you've passed halfway I've passed yeah, yeah. Well, what was the halfway point like how did you know that it was a turning point I became a nanny for three months mm, so I handled wow. three kids 
Wow. Like boys, uh, seven years old, four years old, and two years old. So where was this? Where was this? Yeah, where was it? It was in Switzerland. Switzerland, wow. Yeah. So that's pretty interesting. Like, and and again back to the same thing. Like, we want kids. Yeah, we want to get. We want to have kids someday. Mm. As though like, it's not a big deal. But the mm. thing is, it's it's way bigger than you think it is. Because like, you're gonna create a human being, and yeah. then the fact that you're gonna potentially create traumas, you know, yeah. that may lead to a good thing or a bad thing. Um, yeah, it's way more complicated than it is. Life is actually complicated. We are trying too hard to simplify it, you know. Yeah, definitely. If we are in a room, in an empty room, I guess life is simple. <laughs> but <laughs> we can't control most of the things that's happening around us. Yeah, yeah, it's true. Very true. Yeah, but I like having perspective from different people. That's awesome. Have you ever Have you ever felt lost in your life? And and yeah, man. if you were to give yourself advice to your, like, say, I don't know what. At what age do you feel like really lost at that point of time? What what advice would you give yourself? Let's say you're 19 years old, wow. 18 years old or something. <clears throat> uh, Man, I um, I mean, if someone else is listening, they can they can put themselves in your shoe. Yeah, I mean, I I was this was right before Megan and I started dating. I got I was in a bad relationship. I got really ill. Mm-hmm. Um, and was hospitalized over New Year's, and it was just a horrible time. I was just, like, physically not doing well, obviously, but emotionally not well either. And um, after that season, I was on some crazy meds. Yeah, I was was on these, like, corticosteroids. It was basically, I had this weird blood um, due to the sickness, which was mononucleosis, the kissing disease, they call it. But I had this weird blood reaction called hemolytic anemia, and I was on, in order to, to like calm that reaction down, I was on these drugs called prednisone, some pretty high doses of prednisone, which is a corticosteroid. It's like a anti-inflammatory steroid that shuts your um, immunoresponse system down a little bit because mm-hmm. your immunoresponse system is overreacting. And it, it jacks up your heart rate mm-hmm. and it jacks up your anxiety and you know, it's it's sort of a, a dangerous ju- uh, drug, in mm. my opinion. But I was on this, and I had a couple just, like, existential panic attacks. I wasn't working at the time because I had this illness. I had, I traveled. Um, I came back here for a while. My parents had just moved here, I think, to Antalya. And going back, I didn't have a job. And I just had a couple moments where you know, just sitting in my living room and, and quiet. It's weird. It's how panic attacks happen. Anyone that's had a panic or anxiety attack knows how it is. Sometimes it can come out of the blue. It doesn't have to have a, mm-hmm. it doesn't have to have a stimulus. Yeah. But a thought just slams into your mind is what it feels like. And all of a sudden you can't breathe. And it's just like, I feel like I'm going to die. You get into this mode where, you know, the world seems like it's getting pulled out from under you. And I had that a couple times during that season and I, if I could go back to that, and maybe I should, you know, as therapy, you know, they say you should revisit your younger self right. in times of trauma or bad memories and comfort them. Right. But if I could do that, maybe I will. Um, just go back and say, like, you know, it's okay. It's not the end of the world. Lean, lean on the people in your life that you have currently. It could be friends, family, your partner, whatever, whoever. And... You know, ask for help if you need it. Um, 
and you know lean on their wisdom and and the ability to together be able to deal with the shit of the world you know yeah there is a lot of fucked up stuff it could be system systematic it could be personal um there's a lot of stuff that is out of our control and yeah. it will remain out of our control but if you let that get to you you'll allow the rug to be completely you know repeatedly pulled from under you mm-hmm. and you will feel like you keep getting taken out and it's it's hard to take on your own but when you can hold on to other people especially when people are also holding on to you there's a mutual support that you can you know lean into i think and I learned a lot of that from Megan. Um, she has a she has a great group of friends and had a really good social network when she mm. was when we were in Michigan. I didn't really. I was sort of a loner, I guess. <laughs> you know, coming out of university and um, you know, I think yeah, just leaning leaning on your loved ones. Yeah, people in your life could be friends, family. That's something that I wish I would have remembered in that time. You so know. also looking back at that time, do you feel like routine is important? A job. Is a job necessary to nah? I I think routine. Some people need it. You know, some people need order. Mm-hmm. Some people need predictability in their life. And maybe for them, it is necessary mm-hmm. uh, to feel fulfilled. Um, but for me, I don't think it's. You know, maybe you could feel the same way. Mm-hmm. I actually wonder mm-hmm. people that have a little bit more of a confused cultural identity, right, uh, or social identity, mm-hmm. are a little bit more adaptable to move between identities. Yeah. You know, we have these different voices or identities that we, you know, we taper a little bit. We customize depending on what context we're in. If you're in Malaysia, you probably behave very differently than you do here in Turkey with yeah, most your likely. friends. Yeah. Um, or if you go to Switzerland, it's it's different too. You know, it's we're a little bit of chameleons. Yeah. You know, wherever we go, we don't want to step on people's toes. We want to connect with people, mm-hmm. but I, I don't think. It's the same for everyone, so that's why I don't want to make any generalizations. Yeah. But I know, at least for me, maybe for you as well, and other people that are in our situation, we actually enjoy a lack of routine. We enjoy things that are new. We enjoy trying new things, or you know, being uh, put out in, in new waters, testing new waters, or I don't know. Maybe can you relate to that? Yeah, for sure. That was probably a combination of things. It's not just. Um, existential questioning you know it was like I did yeah I didn't have a job I was just out of this bad relationship I didn't know if I wanted to stay in Michigan um, I didn't know what I wanted to do with my degree it had been three years since I graduated and I still hadn't had a job that lasted more than six months because there were always contract work nothing was stable in my life it felt like so in that sense maybe it's true that a little bit of stability is helpful um, Yeah, I guess a degree of routine. If you if you equate stability with routine, you could say that that would be healthful, mm. um, healthy and helpful. Uh, but yeah, I mean that was there's a conglomerate, I guess you could say, of factors that contributed to my personal like sort of panic attack and like dread almost. Um, you just have to almost keep taking one more step you don't have to figure out what the next 10 steps will look like i think that's part of what happens when people have those existential crises or you know attacks is they start thinking maybe too far ahead they become disconnected from their present condition their present condition is that there's no tiger about to eat them there's no 
truck about to run them over. I mean, you could have, maybe if you live in those type of traumatic, you know, situations, maybe, yeah, that's a legitimate existential fear, but we have no current existential fear that is physically imposing upon us, you know, there's, we're not, we're not about to get, Mm -hmm. there's no gun pointed at our heads currently. I mean, often, like I said, my, I think the first one that I had was I was in the living room in the morning by myself, just like drinking tea or something. And then it happened. There's nothing, I'm in the most safe place in the world at that point, but it still hits you. It's, it's a mind thing, you know? Mm-hmm. So, you know, once you can remember that, I'm not under, I'm not currently under existential threat. You know, I'm not going to lose my head the next minute. Then you can start to breathe and focus more on your present condition. You know, it's, it helps to be able to turn your focus back on, okay, you know, I have enough to eat for today. Yeah. You know, I have enough money to last me this, the rest of this week. And there are times when you won't have that, but you have to still come to a present point. You know, many people, unfortunately, do suffer daily, you know, questions and, and anxieties about food or about shelter. I don't have maybe, you know, homeless people don't have a place to sleep that night. So that's a legitimate fear. But it's almost, it's interesting. I always talk about this with Megan. My, my wife, Megan, is studying to become a counselor, a social worker. And we sort of argue about this, but I actually wonder if there's a degree of privilege to some extent Mm. uh, that's connected with anxiety and high existential panic. Um, Because if you have the privilege to sit in anxiety and not do anything about it, you know, it's different from actually geez, I don't have a place to sleep tonight. I don't even have food for, for my next meal. What am I going to do about it? And that causes you to move to action. You know what I mean? Like I, that helps at least try to keep myself in check, you know, like my perspective in check. Like maybe that's all this, is, this theory is good for too. Because <laughs> I don't want to say that people don't have real anxieties or real fears. But when I think about my own, it's just like, geez, like some people are out there still trying to figure out how to pay, you know, their their next telephone bill their next you know next meal trying to figure out where they're going to sleep that night yeah and they don't just sit around like thinking and worrying and in in dread they go out and either you know ask for it ask for food ask look for a place to sleep try to make those things happen you know because it's more Im- impending on their doom you know yeah. if that makes sense i don't it know if that makes sense. sense it makes sense clearly um, makes sense not yeah. that we're supposed to feel bad about mm-hmm being having less serious anxieties or panics but i've just always been curious about that relationship like it seems like our anxieties and fears um, become more and more abstracted from physical uh, actual threats Mm -hmm. the more privileged you are or something i don't know more abstract they become yeah does that make sense like so as you become more privileged your anxieties and fears about so technically you have more anxiety as you have more money yeah exactly basically yeah as you have more wealth and privilege but those anxieties become more abstracted from actual physical threats can you imagine like famous people the amount of anxiety they have to deal with i mean it's it comes out all the time this person has been suffering from depression and yeah you know there's it's part of the problem is the horrible media coverage Mm -hmm. and the way that people support that type of you know pop magazines and all these all this celebrity news bullshit yeah 
Um, I mean, yeah. they, they also don't have the freedom to walk around the earth. Yeah. You know? That, that is actually a therapy, the medicine, you know? To just yeah, get away, sure. you know? To get lost, To right? get lost, yeah. Yeah, because you don't mean shit. Yeah. Like, so you were in a couple movies. What does that mean to the, the deer in the field or the dog? <laughs> like, it doesn't mean shit in yeah. the circle of life. Yeah, yeah, yeah. In fact, you consume, because of you, there's a lot more consumption. Yeah. And there's a lot more mindless destruction uh-huh. of the world you uh-huh. could say even shit that's a good one such a good documentation man you, you we talked about like in depth about a lot of things would you would you want to change your life in any way if you could right now is that yeah, is that one character traits that you wish you have you could work on mm. yeah uh i wish i honestly wish i had a little more uh discipline i wish i was a little more systematic like we were saying earlier, maybe it's because of my culture. I'm, I'm Turkish mixed with American. I'm a little bit maybe too laid back, a little unorganized in my mind, but also in my practices in life. My, it could be my home, workshop, even, you know, I forget. Ahmed and I work in the roastery together, but he's always having to remind me to put these things in the right place. Let's keep a schedule of this. Let's keep a, you know, inventory list of this. And I always think they're great ideas, and I wish it came naturally for me. But it doesn't often, so I, I want to get better at that. Um, I mean, I think there's always things I, w- I wish I could change that I want to change, and I think I can. Mm. Um, but that's yeah, maybe that's one thing that comes to mind. Um, yeah, I'm not sure. How about you? I wish I was more. Uh, I wish I could stick through one thing hmm. for a long period of time and not get bored. Like I want consistency in my life. I just, I just don't know. Like right now, I'm while I'm traveling. People, I've been. I meet a couple of people who said, I am this the way I am because of my astrology, because of the way that I'm born at this time, because of this. I'm like, I've I've been questioning. Like, is this really true? Can I break out of this like huh. sort of destiny that I that has been shoved upon me what's your uh, astrology I'm a Sagittarius Sagittarius okay what about I actually you? don't know shit about yeah. <laughs> Zodiac I don't know man it's like if you give them your birth date and oh, yeah, your time to oh, that man. point they can just know who you are yeah I mean it's yeah. I, I, I can't tell if, how much I believe in, in it you know I, because you know the shallow ones people try to get you to read every day like daily astrology yeah. that's, I think that's bullshit but if you have your pinpoint your birth date to the second that you were born it's, it's crazy how they can i don't know how they can do it do you feel like they're accurate sometimes no i just i just did it once right oh okay it's not like i don't read it every day kind yeah i think that that one perfect i don't know it's a it's the same reading so it will not change sure know? so I, I i had it through three different readers that i met throughout my traveling it's the same thing they say the same thing in the future I will make money through my ability to talk or to, to communicate yeah, through, sure. through a message. But how would you know that I want that? Yeah, you know? that's a good question. It's sort of Just freaky. Through, yeah. And, you yeah. know, I, th- I think there may be some truth to it. Yeah. Just in that you can believe what you want to believe in it. Mm-hmm. You know, it's maybe... If it you know, you know the, 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 more, the, more, the more crazy part is like This is insane But your wife will benefit from you financially Wow Yeah, that's <laughs> crazy It's crazy It's a, way to, it's a calculation Yeah, you're not really, I'm not really Sagittarius 
per se. I have like my moon, my Gemini moon, sure. whatever. I mean, there's probably some aspect that's true. Mm-hmm. Like at that very point in time, mm. you did, you know, the moon was in this certain position. But the why? sun was in this certain why position. Why so though? Like, why is my characteristic based upon that moment I was born? Which is interesting. Like, do you know, like, I mean, my potential experience that will happen to me is because of that. Yeah, that's wild. <laughs> it's crazy, right? Yeah, man, I don't know. Yeah. I just don't know how to... Because then you would also assume that if that is the case, mm-hmm. you could make the assumption that everything is set. Yeah, like you know, Everything destiny. is set before us. Yeah, mm-hmm. there's, there's greater, you know, forces of energy and, uh, you know, what do you... I don't know how to call it. Uh, not prophecy, but you know, basically the future is set before us mm-hmm. in some ways. In a way, I don't, we are, know if, I don't know how to, yeah. if I agree with that. I, I can sort of understand it because they do say, you know, time is a dimension. It's a fabric which we can get out of. So in that case, technically you should be able to, technically speaking, once we would have the technology or some means, get out of the fabric of time and go to any point on the fabric of time. And in that case, if it's a fabric that is continuous, then you should theoretically be able to have it, you know, set in stone, the future, you know? You can, yeah. So I guess that's theoretically, yeah, it's possible. you know, possible. It's crazy, right? There's <laughs> a lot of unknown to this world, man. Yeah. It's insane. Yeah, it is, it's wild. Wow, yeah. Wow, it was great talking to you, man. I'm grateful for this, this moment. Past and the, the future becomes a present. Yeah. <laughs> or intertwined. You know, trust in your community. Lean on your loved ones. Um, that is the gems, isn't it? Yeah, that I is think so. That is the core. I right? think it is. Yeah, family. We are each other's core. I think it's true. We, you know, humans connection. We're here for each other. Yeah. The same thing with the world. Lean into the world around you. You know, go out into literally lean onto the rock outside. See how that feels. Literally, sometimes it would. I'm not even joking. I would, in those moments of anxiety, sometimes if I was near a tree, I would go just touch the tree. And just sit there, you know, feeling the tree, feeling the bark, knowing that this is a living thing as well. I'm connected to this. There was a point where we were all a particle in a dust, in a dying star, you know. And, you know, there was, there, there was a, literally another, if you jump out of that fabric of time, you go back and we were all one. So, I mean, that's comforting for me. Maybe it isn't for everyone, but, uh, yeah, leaning into the source of life which is everything around you and, each, and especially your community because they know you and they can help you get through a lot of shit you know and um, you have a relationship with them and a history with them so definitely lean into those Memnon Olden bro yeah Aynan Memnon Olden Memnon Olden Memnon Olden Memnon Olden Memnon Olden Memnon Olden